Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's like Groundhog Day all over again. Someone called Johnson has resigned from the government. Someone from the Labour Party reckons Brexit can be stopped and the leader of the Labour Party is getting grief for wearing the wrong kind of coat to the Remembrance Sunday commemorations at the Cenotaph. First things first, Casey Perry is here and we'll be discussing why a Brexit deal now seems further away than it ever was and whether that even matters. Losing one Johnson might be considered a good idea in Downing Street, but losing two, is that irresponsible? And as for Jeremy Corbyn, I'm just going to start calling him Donald. He He's taken a leaf out of Trump's book and decided to goad the media and his distractors deliberately. And guess what? It worked. If you think he put that jacket on, that anorak, whatever you want to call it, by mistake and didn't realise there was going to be a huge hoo-ha about it, uh, you've got another thing coming. 0344 499 1000. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll tell you why fish and chips is getting more expensive, why ironing is good for you, apparently, and what to say if your employer wants to microchip you. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Casey Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it's time to say a very good morning on a Monday in November after Remembrance Sunday weekend to Katie Perrier. Good morning. Very good How morning. How are we? Wasn't it a lovely day yesterday in terms of the things that people did, in terms of the two-minute silence, the you know all the various uh, things like the, the faces on the beaches and and all the poppies everywhere. I thought it was really, really lovely. We were we, we did we did a good job as a nation. Yeah, I think, I think we, so. We did, I mean, I'm very proud mm. of our kind of efforts. Yes. Uh, across the board, some of the national newspapers have got wrapped around them today, saying yeah. you know a coverage of exactly you know what happened yesterday, but also looking back and what happened mm. 100 years ago. And some of the stories have been kind of really, really brought me to tears yeah. this weekend. Oh, incredible, yeah. Uh, you know, about someone that died as the armistice kind of, you know, sure. the last 30 seconds beforehand. His mother's, you know, somewhere else celebrating that the war's over and her someone's coming back. Little did she know yeah. he died. Stories like that one after another have come, you know, I've been reading about and watching TV. And, you know, it's really, really important. I took my kids to church this weekend. I made right. them wear their school uniform. I made okay. them polish their shoes. Good. And they were saying to me, oh, it's a bit chilly. And I said, do you think it was chilly? The yeah, yeah, I know. You know, I was you start really, turning really, into sort of you know, hyper robo mum. I was you? absolutely kind of tiger <laughs> mum on that on this stuff yeah. this weekend. So, well, we managed you know, to drag our kids should, out of their rooms and off the uh, playstations for long enough to watch the two minute silence, which they then appreciated. We all started talking about it, and it was. I think it was just a really, really one of those days where, as you say, you feel quite proud to be British because we're good at that kind of thing. And some great images as well over the weekend. Of course, who could forget uh, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin uh, as Putin put his thumb up. 
when he shook hands with Trump. There's that great picture of Macron and uh, and Angela Merkel sort of scowling at looking Putin, looking very suspicious, looking very suspicious, and and, and and Trump with this huge great grin on his face. You know, plus there was of course the business of whether he went in the in the rain, didn't go uh, because of the rain, all of that. Uh, there was of course Jeremy Corbyn in his coat, which as far as I'm concerned was an absolute deliberate act. He's take, he's taking a leaf out of Donald Trump's book and he's going, I know exactly what you're going to do if I put this funny coat on. You're going to make a trivial mar- remark about my coat and everybody's going to say, look at the media, all they do is pick on Jeremy Corbyn because of his coat. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, if we sit here and rant about Jeremy Corbyn all, all morning, we're playing into his hands because he, wants to, be, he wants to be anti-establishment. He wants to be different. He wants to show his supporters that he doesn't stand there next to Blair, next to Brown, next to Cameron, and he's not like them. Well, last year yeah. he was like them because yeah. he wore a coat exactly, exactly the same as they, they did. Well, somebody obviously this told year, him not to do that. He didn't. And so, you know what? You, you want to play your pathetic little games on Armistice Day, good luck to you. But yeah. I don't think you're going to get the respect of anyone. My favourite tweet of the day from yesterday was somebody who said, basically, and it was just, uh, uh, it wasn't anybody in the political sphere, it wasn't any uh, pundits or anything like that. It just said, well, to be fair to Jeremy, he's normally laying a wreath in a much hotter climate than, than the one we had uh, in London. So, obviously, he's not used to wearing a coat when he puts a wreath down. But let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator for The Independent, uh, because not only uh, is Jeremy Corbyn wearing the wrong kind of coat, uh, he's got the wrong kind of Brexit secretary, because Keir Starmer says uh, Brexit actually can be stopped. John, a very good morning Hi, to you. Hi, John. Good morning. I think um, we've covered yeah. it all there, haven't we? That you, you, well, that's that's the short version. <laughs> I mean, we're now going to do the long version, Excellent. aren't we, with all the sort of sub-paragraphs and yes. all that. But no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Jeremy Corbyn said, he was asked by uh, Der Spiegel, uh, yeah, I mean, because he doesn't get a fair hearing from the uh, British no. uh, mainstream media, so he has to go and be interviewed by a German uh, journalists who then who then ask him sarky questions about uh, <laughs> didn't Tony Blair win three elections? Um, but no, he he told that one of the sarky questions they asked him was uh, you know would you would you stop Brexit if you could? And he said we can't stop Brexit. Yes. Um, and then uh, up pops uh, uh, Keir Starmer this morning to say um, well Brexit could be can be stopped. Yes. But he didn't he didn't sound very enthusiastic about it to be fair to to, to be fair to Keir Starmer. So you don't see his uh, kind of uh, intervention. As, as, as it were, as a kind of a possible tanks and the lawn type scenario. Well, yeah, no, it certainly was. Um, uh, I mean, I think it was. A, it, it, he was trying to contradict. Well, he was trying to correct his leader uh, without appearing to contradict him. If you see what I mean. But I mean, you, you can't do that. I mean, one said one thing and one said the one said the opposite. Uh, but I mean, Keir Starmer is right that that, that he was spelling out Labour Party policy. Right. Uh, and what uh, Jeremy Corbyn said was not quite contrary to Labour Party policy because, um, you know, the, the, the policy is that all options are on the table. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn forgot to mention that. But, I mean, he just sounded, Jeremy Corbyn sounded like he didn't want to stop Brexit. That was the problem. Well, everything you've read and everything you know, especially from this latest weekend's papers, John, do you think we're edging closer to a no-deal Brexit? Uh, yes, I do. But, I mean, I've got no idea what's going on in this tunnel uh, which is a fancy way of saying they're having um, they're having private uh, negotiations in Brussels. Um, uh, yeah, I'm completely torn. I've got no idea what's going to happen. I have to admit, um, it's probably safest. That's the safest thing because if I make a prediction, it'll probably be wrong, and then you know you'll have me on and, and laugh. But I mean, this again. is in its own way terribly refreshing, John, because of course everybody who also doesn't know what's going to happen <laughs> keeps pretending that they do know what's going to happen and telling us. Well, indeed. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Good. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of my sources um, say that it's you know it, it could easily be a no deal Brexit by accident because the two sides sort of uh, are, uh, keep sort of misunderstanding each other, and you know we're getting very close to to the deadline now. Right. 
Um, but, I mean, my, I mean, if I stand back and look at it, I think, well, you know, it's so much in the interests of both sides that there is a deal that surely there's some kind of fudge and, and sort of form of words. But, I mean, that can get us over the line. But, I mean, what's extraordinary is the, the EU seems to be hardening its line at, at, at this point, And right. it looks as if they don't want to deal. But, I mean, the, th- the problem with that is they have promised the Irish... Uh, you know, total solidarity, and they promised the Irish that there, w- there will be no hard border in Ireland. Now, the only way of uh, of delivering on that promise is to do a deal, mm. uh, because if there is no deal, then there will be a hard border. So I don't know who's who, who's going to blink first, and I don't know what... And isn't that what it's all about? It's all about the blinking. I mean, there are those who believe that the, the, the no deal is now closer than it's ever been, uh, because, as you say, there are so many different forms of, of deals that they'll never actually agree on one. And that seems to be the difficulty here, doesn't it? Because on both sides, both over in the EU and here in the government, you can't really find two people that agree on what the deal should be. No, but I mean, but except that the deal could be, you know, let's just um, uh, let's just agree to a, a form of words on this on the Irish border, mm. you know, that we'll try and we'll, we'll try and make it work, and then we can we can negotiate after we've left. Now, why? But they can't they they can't get there because the EU keeps imposing um, new conditions like that. Now, suddenly they 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 want our fish, mm. um, and. You know, they're they're saying we've got to agree to this Irish backstop guarantee in perpetuity, and it's got to be arbitrated by the by the European Court of Justice. They must know that this is, you know, the, the, these are things that are going to be very very difficult, if not impossible, for Theresa May to accept. And yet they seem to be determined to um, to 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 mess it up at the last minute. The situation that Theresa May is now in, though, is that she can't get consensus from any part of her party large enough to get something for it through. So you talk about pressures from European courts of. Uh, justice, and, but also pressures such as um, fishing rights and things like that. But what yeah. we've seen over the weekend since Joe Johnson's resignation is the Remainers saying that they're not happy with this deal either. So we thought up until now it'd be the Brexiteers that say, no, 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 we don't agree to this, we won't sign up to it. But yet there are many Remainers in her cabinet and across government who are saying, we don't like this either. This is the worst of all deals. And so where does that leave her in the end? Well, in a, in a, in a very tricky position. But actually, I mean, the thing about Joe Johnson is he's, he's, he's not just a Remainer. I mean, He's a hard remainer. He actually wants to reverse Brexit, um, uh, but there are but there are other people like that in in the Tory Party. But they 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 are a minority in the Tory Party, as are the the, the hard Brexit. You know, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Let's just sort of throw up the whole thing and just leave without a deal. Mm. Um, I mean, those are in a minority too. So I mean, th- there is a there is a majority there for for a deal, but the the, the EU's got to um, got to make it possible. And you know, maybe maybe they maybe they never intended to. Uh, but in, in which case we've been led up the garden path for the past two years. Yeah, indeed. And part of the problem now as well is that we're all beginning to realise that actually anything is now possible, really, because yeah. every promise that has been made has pretty much been broken. Uh, every deadline that has been set has been pretty much broken as well. And so in the end, are we actually really going to get to March 29th? I mean, we could presumably get there and then nothing happens. Well, there's something, something's going to happen on March the, I mean, if we leave the EU... Then uh, and and if we haven't. Yeah, but what if deal, we don't know? What if we what if we just get an extension? What if it just kind of drags on? Well, kind of you know limitlessly. Well, that's one of the options for which there is not really. Well, I don't know if there's a majority for that in 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 the House of Commons. That is the, that is a big question. Yeah. If, if there's no deal, and the choice is no deal or extend Article 50. Yeah. Uh, what would the House of Commons vote for? And I I genuinely again um, don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, because I think it's I think it's rather rather difficult. I suspect that 
there would be a majority to leave without a deal. Right. I mean, whatever, you know, the, you know, without you know, the consequences of that would be disruptive in the short term, certainly. There certainly would um, be no uh, appetite, presumably, in the House of Commons for a second referendum, would there? Well, there is some appetite, but no, again, I know there is not, some, but not enough. But not enough. No, you're right. That is another well, can, option. Which, John, but, can, can you see the Labour Party adopting that as an official position coming no, the new year? No, because Jeremy Corbyn won't uh, won't countenance it. Jeremy Corbyn does not agree with uh, with having a second referendum, referendum because he does not agree with with staying in the in the EU. I mean, the only people who support a second referendum, and and, and my newspaper does actually, the Independent supports a second referendum. But the only people who do support a second referendum are those who want to see the the result of the. Of the refer- of the original referendum reversed. Right. I mean, there there aren't that many people. Sorry, there there are one or two, one or two of my colleagues. There aren't, but there aren't many people who who voted who voted leave and now say, oh yes, we should have another, we should we should have a second referendum. And what price does Theresa May pay for all of this if she does get a Brexit deal through? Do you think that she can see herself all the way through to the next general election, or they'll say, look, this has been an absolute mess. Yeah. It's been a, you know a complete fudge. We didn't we ended up with something we didn't want, and the price you pay is that you have to go. Well, I think she's that that would have to have to happen anyway. But if she gets a deal, then I think um, she postpones uh, the date of her departure by by some time. Mm. I mean, possibly possibly several years. I mean, you know, if she if she gets a if she gets a Brexit deal, then she ought to be carried shoulder high through the streets. I mean, that would be an astonishing uh, achievement. I mean, after especially after all the negativism we've. But nobody's going to be happy, no matter what happens. It's the tragedy of all of this. Well, exactly. I mean, they they ought to be. They yeah. ought to be praising out to the skies. But actually, the hard Brexiteers will be furious because it won't be what they want, and the, and the Remainers right. will be furious because we've we've still left. So, yes, yeah, she'll still be in a difficult position. But I mean, if she doesn't get a deal, then that that would be a historic failure, uh, and that really should be the end of her time as Prime Minister. Except that. You know, you still got. She's not going to. They can't get rid of her unless a majority of Tory MPs want to get rid of her, and the, and they're not going to do that unless they've got an alternative. And some of them, them are afraid better. of the replacement, aren't they, John? Well, exactly. I mean, they don't want to see Boris Johnson as as Prime Minister, um, which is you know a risk you take because the final choice is made by the party members in the country. Um, so, you know, however useless they think they think they think she is. Um, even and even if she fails to get a deal, which would be a historic failure, um, you know she may survive for for some time to come. Now I know you don't uh, want to make any predictions, but how about this for a, for a possible prediction? Will there ever be a time when this country returns to normal, where we can actually <laughs> walk about without talking about Europe and Brexit, and whether you're a Remainer or a Ramona or a, you know a Brexiteer or whatever the hell it is? I mean, it's become ridiculous. It has, and um, the, the short answer to that is is not for many years because <laughs> dear um, God. Because even, I mean, even if there's a deal, or if uh, if there isn't a deal, then you know there are going to be questions of our relations with with Europe and and, and our trade with re- Europe, which are going to have to be negotiated and decided over over the next three, four, five years. Um, I mean, perhaps the intensity will will abate if we actually leave uh, on the 29th of March, because you know then we'll be in a slightly different position. But I, I think it's going to be the other way around, John. I think we're only just starting, and it's going to be <laughs> terrible. This time next year, we're going to be fighting over every little kind of amendment to a bill, yeah. every little fishing right, one tiny piece of water versus another. Mm. It's going to be a nightmare. Well, price of fish and chips is already going up. We're going to be talking about that later on. I'm also uh, reliably informed, John. You may know this that the Brexit withdrawal agreement is now at least 500 pages long 
Is it? Yeah. Well, it, need, it needs to be fairly... Yeah, it's a fairly substantial international treaty, isn't it? So, yeah, paid enough know, for it. It's got a lot of stuff in it because mm. it's got to have the Irish backstop in it and it's got to have all that stuff about the... The, the the divorce bill and and citizens' rights. I mean that is the, yeah. There's there's a substantial document there, um, and you know, ministers have actually been in to see to read the 95% of it is fi- which is finished, mm. um, but uh, it's the 5% that hasn't been finished that is the uh, the difficult bit. No, indeed. And I read with interest over the weekend uh, that your old mate David Miliband might be returning to these shores because he's had enough of being of doing good uh, over in the United States of America. So he wants to come back and uh, maybe form himself into a new political movement. What do you reckon? Uh, no, <laughs> no not going to happen. I mean, I, you know, I, th- I think they, I mean, David Miliband was a was was a wonderful uh, was a wonderful uh, leader, and he should have been leader of the Labour Party in 2010. He should even have been leader of the Labour Party in, in 2009 and, and and fought the 2010 general election instead of Gordon Brown. Um, but uh, he he was never he was never sort of demented and ruthless enough to uh, to oust Gordon Brown, and you know in the end he couldn't even beat his his, his younger brother. So uh, I think that that was the yeah, end of his political. It's all Ed Miliband's fans' fault, I tell you. I think, I, 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 think, think that's I think we can certainly lay quite a lot of the blame at yeah, his door. I and do. what about my analogy with old uh, Donald Corbyn? I'm calling him Donald from now on <laughs> because he's now clearly operating as a trumper uh, and, uh, and and just upsetting the media just for the hell of it. What you mean by wearing a coat? Yeah, what's his next trick going to be? No, I well actually, um, I'm, well I'm not bothered about what what he was wearing. I mean, I didn't think it looked very smart, but I mean, actually, the thing is, he norm he normally does that gig in a dark suit. Yes, um, which is and, what he did last year. Yes, but this time he thought it might rain, so he had to put a coat on, and that's the only. Well, coat there's the other got. similarity with Trump. Um, uh, yes. But well, the rain. he did actually turn up to do it, and he did actually put the put the wreath down. Um, well, to be fair to Trump, Trump also turned up. He just didn't turn up in the place he was meant to turn up. No, that's right. He didn't. He didn't go out to the uh, to the American cemetery. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was prepared to go out in the rain. Actually, it didn't rain as it as it happened, but he did put his. Can you imagine him with a hood up? That would have been even worse. Well, that... <laughs> to be honest, I was a bit more worried about the guy from the SNP with the kilt on when he leaned over to put the wreath down. I had all sorts of horrible images in my head. I thought that was a very unwise choice of dress. Well, I've got some latest news breaking. Michael Gove, doorstep by Sky News this morning, says, I haven't seen those comments when he's asked about Boris Johnson's cabinet should mutiny comments in the Telegraph. Yeah, right. Hasn't yeah, seen them. Well, hasn't seen them. No. Yeah, right. He's had a busy morning then, hasn't he, I guess. Yeah. But, but Boris Johnson's article in the Telegraph this morning is exactly the same as the one he wrote you know, last week and the week before <laughs> I've that. given up so, reading you know, the articles. To be honest, I've I've given up reading Boris Johnson now because uh, apart from the fact that he now not only writes in the Telegraph, he also writes in the Sun and all other yeah. newspapers that he can get his hands on. You know, it's all very boring well, to be honest. I did read it just to check that he didn't have an alternative to Theresa May's policy, and lo and behold, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. No. I mean, he, it's quite it's quite a good rant for 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 most of the, most of the article, and then sort of about three quarters of the way through, he thinks, oh, hang on, I better just say yeah. say what my alternative is because otherwise people will go on about it. It's two hundred. £75,000 a year, John. Well, exactly. But his alternative consists of one paragraph saying, uh, you know, let's let's do a super Canada plus and, and, and the Irish and the EU will agree to it. Mm. Uh, no, they won't. 
No, I know. It's, Simple it's, as that. I, I fear, John, we will be having many more of these conversations and we may not actually be discussing anything different from the, la the last time we spoke and the next time we speak will no doubt be the same. But thank you very much indeed, John Rental, at least an honest political pundit saying that he doesn't know what's going to happen because nobody knows what's going to happen. Why are there so many people out there who keep telling us that they're absolutely certain that if this happens, then that will happen? You know, if if you do that, then this will be the, the, the disaster. Know. Nobody knows the answer, uh, which actually makes it a bit more interesting, doesn't it? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Let's talk to Alan, uh, who's in Birmingham. Hi, Alan. Hi, Alan. Yeah, hi there. Yeah, what do uh, you want to say, Alan? About, I'm calling in about Mr. Corbyn. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm I'm an ex-serviceman. I've okay. served in the army. I've attended the cenotaph for the last three years. I didn't attend this year. Okay. I went local this year because I thought it was important to do that. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> let's look at Corbyn over the last uh, three years. Firstly, it's only in the last three years that he's actually been wearing a poppy. Prior right. to that, he's never worn one in his life. Okay. It's only in the last three years that he's actually learned how to dress properly. Mm. You've only got to look at the way he dressed before the spin doctors got hold of him and tidied him up a bit. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the contempt that he has shown for the armed forces and the disrespect that he's shown for the armed forces and veterans historically is on record and very well known. Uh-huh. Uh, he is a past supporter, publicly uh, and privately, of the Irish Republican Army. Yeah. Uh, he claims now that he was involved in the peace process. He had nothing to do with it. He was a low-level backbench MP who was a bit of a joke at the time. So yes. the only claim to fame he had was bringing Gerry Adams and Martin McGuinness over to London. <clears throat> and actually, he held a uh, two-minute silence in the House of Parliament to the three terrorists that were shot in Gibraltar. Mm. So wearing the coat that he wore yesterday, I think, to be honest, compared to a lot of the past things he's done, <clears throat> excuse me, it's quite minor. But, yeah, I mean, maybe his spin doctors weren't around on a Sunday morning to tell him how to dress. No, uh, I, I think I think everything he now does, Alan, I th and, I, and you're absolutely right to point out all those things that you've just done. But I think everything he now does is 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 done with quite a lot of thought, uh, with a fair amount of uh, expectation of how it will be received, um, because it plays into his audience, which is what Donald Trump does very well. It plays to his yeah. audience. So all of the people that like Corbyn are all up in arms because of people like you and I who are saying it's a bit mm. disrespectful to wear that kind of coat to the senator. <clears throat> Well, he avoids veterans on every occasion he can. Uh, I'm involved in a veterans group called Justice for Northern Ireland Veterans, and right. basically what, what we're about is the, uh, the, I suppose, really, the witch hunt that's going on at the moment. Yes. The veterans, when all these terrorists have been elected. Which is a free. disgrace, by the way. We've talked of about course that on the show. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I'm actually the founder member of the group. And, okay. Uh, but uh, on, on, I can give you two occasions where he's avoided us. Hmm. The first occasion was a year ago. In fact, it was a year ago, early December, when um, we went to Barnstable because he was having a Labour rally down there. And we stood outside because we wanted to confront him about his IRA support. Right. And he went, in, but he went in the back door. Um, the other time was most more recent, and that was back in uh, July, when, or sorry, in June, and we were outside Parliament, and he saw us, and he literally ran away. He literally ran away from us. And there were only three or four of us yeah. standing there. And we went to approach him, and he ran. He physically ran away wow. from us. So, Corbyn, I actually personally think it's an insult to have him there mm. on, on uh, Armistice Day. I think if the Labour Party had anything about them, they would ask him to respectfully stay away and maybe put someone in like Keir Starmer yeah. or someone else who actually doesn't have to be forced to 
to wear a poppy. I think Corbyn, God forbid that man ever got into power in this country. It would be an absolute national disaster yeah. and, would make, and would make this Brexit uh, fiasco pale into insignificance. Well, exactly. And because, I mean, you know? one thing you haven't mentioned is associations with some of the more uh, ghastly members of the Middle Eastern sort oh, of conflict, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And the idea that, uh, as somebody said yesterday, you know, you're normally used to laying wreaths in, in places where the temperature is a lot warmer. Uh, you know, that well, whole debacle over the Hamas, mm-hmm. uh, this Black September mm-hmm. thing, you know, everything he's done, he hasn't ever been able to justify. And he tries to make up a story about how he was, uh, you know, involved in the peacemaking process. Absolute yeah. nonsense. He cannot, cannot bring all, himself, yeah. he cannot bring himself yeah. to even say the word Israel, never mind anti-Semitic. And, and, and he's comp- repeatedly, sorry to cut across you there, uh, it sounds like we're singing off the same <laughs> hymn sheet anyway, but he has repeatedly, repeatedly refused co- to condemn the IRA. Yeah. And, and, and again, and he still won't do it. He has repeatedly refused to condemn the IRA. But he does have his deluded followers. And, you know, if we take this year as an example, Armed Forces Day, where did Jeremy Corbyn go? He went to the uh, Glastonbury Festival. Yeah, right. Because it's young, young people who are not aware of his ghastly past. Yeah, right. That is the problem. There are people who also believe, Alan, that this is the man who will lead us out of this ghastly kind of, you know, establishment-led world in which we live. He's been part of the establishment for 35 years. He's never done anything but work in the House of Commons. If that's not part of the establishment, I don't know what is. No, exactly. I mean, he's... uh, Honestly, he just... uh, The man... I can't even look at him. I can't listen to him. Anything to do with him, basically, I just find totally and utterly abhorrent. And do most of your colleagues uh, from uh, the, the armed services feel the same way? Yeah, well, he did. Uh, he he went on that little walk. Remember his first year when he was uh, attended. I, I, I like I said, I wasn't there this year. But when we line up, we normally line up uh, on Whitehall right. in the columns before we march down, and there's a big screen in front of us. And uh, whenever he comes out, there is a silence. There's mm. no, there's, we don't boo because we don't want to disrespect, you know, the occasion that it is. But sure. yeah, he's uh, he went for a walk around the first year, and I think he got the message that he is despised within the veteran community, totally and utterly despised. And I have friends who are Labour supporters and uh, lifelong Labour supporters who will not vote Labour because uh, because he is the leader of the Labour Party, and uh, you know just. Just everything about him is is vile. He's just a despicable. He's a, he's a national disgrace. Just well, a, well, if Jeremy Corbyn doesn't think it or say it, we will. We'd like to thank you for your service, Alan, because I hope we did you proud, you and your colleagues proud this weekend. Because it wasn't just uh, about the hundred years ago; it was about every conflict since then. So I hope you feel mm. that the rest of the nation did you proud. Well, it was an honour to. Uh, it was all about the First World War this weekend, and rightly so. Because no matter what I went through or anyone else went through, no one can imagine what those men went went through in the First World War. It was a, a war to end all wars, yeah. but suddenly didn't. Indeed. But uh, the slaughter, the mass scale of slaughter. Someone said that if you were to join the two lines of veterans from the First and Second World War together in a column of four, they would go from London to Newcastle. That's how many men lost their lives. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I served in Northern Ireland. We lost over 700 soldiers there. So for a Northern Ireland veteran to look at that creep, uh, you know, when we know what he supported and actually held silences for terrorists, Mm. and that's what they were. They weren't freedom fighters. They were terrorists. And we still don't in this country have a national memorial 
to the dead of the Northern Ireland conflict. It, the, we always refer to it as the Troubles, but it was a war. It wasn't. It wasn't Troubles. No, it was exactly. a war. You know. But yeah, Corbyn is. Oh, you know, the man just honestly, he just makes my blood boil. We can tell. Alan, listen, great call. Thank you very much indeed. Alan in Birmingham there telling uh, telling it like it is from the point of view of many veterans, in fact, probably all veterans uh, who have served uh, for Her Majesty's Armed Forces. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, talking of Millionaire's Row, have you seen this story today from Britain's youngest Euro Millions winner, Jane Park, right? She's 23. Uh, she won the Euro Millions when she was uh, 17 years of age. She, she only won a million quid. Only. Only. Okay. But apparently it's ruined her life. Of course it has. She hasn't been able to keep a bloke. Every boyfriend she's had, she's worried that they only want her for her money. Right? Guess what she's doing now? Go on. She's now offering and the next boyfriend that comes along to, to be paid £60,000 a year to basically be her boyfriend. She said, I've what? had enough of people coming and expecting me to pay for everything, so I'm now going to actually give them a salary to be my boyfriend. Uh, is that what you were doing? They have that break, filling in your application form? Please. No, <laughs> it's not enough. I mean, I can't, give up, I can't give up working for 60 grand, can I? No, 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 not that's at not, all. You know, that's, that's right. That's just not enough. Plus, yeah, right. you know, I'm not in the market for a 23-year-old lottery winner, no, to be honest. No, of course honest. you're not. And also, she lives in Scotland. <laughs> I'm not in the market for I'm a 23-year-old lottery winner. I'm not. Why, right. you, why, why right would you who? say that? Why would you say no, that? No, it's just that, you know, she's, um, someone, someone, I won't say whom, but someone Googled her type, earlier and thought, oh, she'd be, you know, pretty, you know, she's very attractive. But you know what she wants and you to lovely. do with the money? She wants you to spend it on her. Naturally. What's that all about? What's wrong with that? Well, why would she give you money to then tell you what to do with it? Because this, we are I mean, women, if I give we money, are women in life. Well, That's yeah. What you should say, for example, the, the roles were reversed. Yeah. Can you imagine the outrage and outcry there would be if some guy won the lottery and offered 60,000 quid a year to a woman to be his girlfriend? Can you imagine what I they'd say? I think there'd be a massive outcry. And they'd be, say be, you're encouraging prostitution. And there'll be a queue as long as you're on. Really? Yeah. You think? There'd be loads and loads of applicants. Yeah. Now, she seems to be, she actually needs to, some, some help, I think, because she probably thinks that she's not 
all that in terms of her worth. Because well, she, she has she had a few things to done to herself. How to find a man. She's had and a few she's things beautiful. done. She's lovely, and you know, I think that she possibly needs to spend the money on other things. Other I don't than think. I don't think well, why don't you get on the phone to her? Right, tell her. Look, this is not a good should, idea. Yeah, I, I think give I should some, give her a you know, ring and friendly, say, "Look, love, sisterly advice." Yeah, if you were my friend, I'd say you're just fine as you are. You'll find a great guy, and you know what? This is why you shouldn't make public. You won, you see. Right. Because if you're going to check up with someone, you can then you know, let them in. You know, after the wedding day, and say, "By the way, just to let you know, I've got I've got a few pounds more than you anticipated." Yes. You don't you don't publicise the fact that you're a winner. Of course, they're all going to. I can see the the logic in actually giving somebody a fixed amount of money rather than uh, just them coming to you going, you know, can I can I borrow ten grand or something, or can I have a car, or I don't know. See, yeah, I, I, don't, know. I wouldn't do any of those things. Well, I wouldn't either. It's hard for me to fathom what that would be like. But if you're living together eventually yeah. with your partner, then right. you know you will access joint accounts together, or you will share money. And so it doesn't—it's not ridiculous to say that you know as yeah, part but you of our life. Paying you a salary, but you don't advertise it as a, you know <laughs> the first knockings. You know, kind of you could just imagine on on some Tinder and things where people swipe yeah, and yeah. go swipe, swipe, swipe comes with a million quid. Yeah, done. Really? You know, and she wonders why she can't, you know, secure a guy that's actually... And she's only 23. I mean, she's not going to have that much money forever, is she? No. A million quid doesn't go as far as it used to. I'd be saving the 60 grand because yeah. you're going to need that when you're 40, love. Yeah, exactly. Believe me. And also, what about, you know, by the time you, uh, you know, need the old care home, you won't have any money left. No, it's game it over. all away to some bloke. This is, this is going to end in tears. It's I'm telling you now. This I'm not going to tell you tears. what she wrote on her Instagram post either because it's uh, not the right time of day. Is it rude? It's quite... Well, it's not that rude, but it's not really suitable for the radio, I'd say. See, I think she's hanging around with the wrong people, yeah. the wrong crowd, and doing mm. the wrong things. Yes. I need to be motherly. I'm feeling very maternal with this oh, young yeah. lady. Yes. Okay. Maybe she needs to go back to, you know, university or something. And I don't you know, think she go... ever went there. No? I don't think she'd be you going back. You don't think so? Well, she used to work in an £8 an hour job as an admin temp. Okay. So I don't think she went to university, which just doesn't make her a bad person. No, 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 person. no, but I just feel that she, she, you know, you know, she needs to take her time. Maybe she should travel. Yes, that would travel be a good idea. Travel the world, idea. right? And then nobody would know her. So they wouldn't know that she had a million quid. Yep, and she could turn up in another country. She could turn up in somewhere like Milan. And, you know, meet some right. hunky guy. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that he doesn't know that she's a millionaire. Exactly, and then she doesn't have to tell anyone that she's got no. all that money. That, maybe that's the secret. They've never discovered the internet, no? Well, maybe go somewhere where they haven't got the internet. You know, <laughs> Should we go to Bora Bora Fiji, or something? Fiji. Somewhere like that. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344 uh, who sent us some great tweets on the car front, uh, has finally lost the plot. He says, I guess the ultimate deterrent for cars being stolen to order is make every car look the same, act the same. Uh, boring, I know, but I always fancied a larder. <laughs> Trust me, uh, oh mate, God, you don't... Oh, my God, that is Jeremy Corbyn's government. Yeah, yeah, everybody gets a larder. I've driven larders, they're not worth driving. So- I had a, You know, when I was in Bosnia, right? The BBC were there, the Telegraph, they all had these uh, bulletproof Land Rovers, right, which weigh so much because you literally can't pierce them with a bullet. Yep. I was in a larder, right, which was known <laughs> you as... you have a sign on, on your saying, shoot as, me. It was known as a soft car. Soft car. Yeah, and I once went... Um, you get When you're in these places, right, you, you get a sort of full sense of security. Yeah. And I was, I'd run out of... You had to always carry a big can of spare petrol with you, but that started to run down, so I was told you better go to the nearest petrol station outside of Vitesse, right? But the problem is there's a sniper um, between the army camp and the petrol station. And when you get to the petrol station, there's a load of sandbags so he can't shoot you while you're filling up your car because he's in the, the, the hills over there. And uh, this guy said, but don't worry, if you do a steady 90 cl- clicks, 90 miles an hour, 90 kilometres an hour, he can't hit you, you know? 
So as long as you in your literally pedal to the metal in the larder. So I went, yeah, I can do this. You know, look at me. I'm a boy. I can do this. So I absolutely went like hell for leather. 90 kilometres all the way down. Filled up the car. Drove back. 90 kilometres all the way back. And I thought, I've just done the most exciting thing in my life I've ever done. Nobody shot me. I've managed to avoid the sniper. It's fantastic. That night, I was having a drink with the guys in the army. And I said, and I told them the story. And they said, uh, that's rubbish, by the way. Yeah, you can hit you no matter what speed you're doing. I'm oh like, my gosh. oh, God, really? You wouldn't have gone if you'd known that. No, I wouldn't. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, let's no. talk about fish and chips. Leslie Graves oh, yeah. is a member of the board of directors of the National Federation of Fish Friars and owner of the award-winning Burton Road Chippy in Lincoln. Oh, Leslie, hungry. We're, we're desperate for fish and chips now, Leslie. How are you? Good morning, Leslie. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good now, morning. Now, listen, we're hearing that Britons are turning away from the old uh, staple of fish and chips because they're getting too expensive. Rubbish. Oh, right, OK. Fair <laughs> enough. How much, is it, how much is it for a, a basic haddock and chips in your gaff? In, in my gaff, it's about £5. That's, That's cheap. cheap, you see. That's really cheap. Exactly. It still represents good value for money. It's not and like that around the rest of the country, not, not only good value for money, it's also one of the healthiest takeaways options. Mm. options. You know, we've got natural nutritional ingredients and not many um, takeaways can actually lay claim to that. And I think historically it's really been undersold and undervalued. Yes, no, I absolutely agree with you because we've also got the the worry coming up that we won't be able to get as much haddock and cod out of the sea as we used to in years to come. There certainly there certainly is price increases on fish and and potatoes, and obviously we're we're all conscious environmentally of looking at the sustainability of fish. Um, I think it's important that we try different species mm. as well. But I think there's a lot of scaremongering going on. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think portion sizes is, is key, really, if we look at the portion sizes that historically we've sold. Yeah. That it's potentially too much. We often find that people are sharing one portion, which really lays claim to the fact that it's the, the size that is too big. big. Yeah, well, I, I've been to many fish and chip shops where they'll do, you know, say a large fish, fish and chips, and sometimes they'll give you two fish if it's a large yeah. one, you know. And you don't really need two fish, do you? No, you don't. You don't. I mean, we're in a world where we're looking, like I said, at the environment. We're also looking in a world where we don't want waste. Yeah. And I think, I think potentially there's a lot of waste involved in takeaways because our eyes are often bigger than our bellies. Yes. If, if you were to go home and put your takeaway that you've got wrapped up on your takeaway, you put that on a plate, there's no way you would have put your plate that, that large. No. Exactly right. Um, in my case, unfortunately, my belly is actually genuinely bigger than my eyes, but that's that's my own well, fault. Well, you know, <laughs> that's my own fault. But tell us, what's your uh, what's your sort of alternative to haddock and cod? Then skate. I mean, what else can you deep fry? Well, anything on the sustainable list. There's lots yeah. of white fish out there. There's lots of black fish that we often underutilise. Um, I mean, the key being that it's from um, Marine Stewardship Council sustainable sources. Right. Okay. Um, Pollock, maybe. And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think for, uh, going back to, say, 1976, for example, when there was a drought, we had a drought and the potatoes, we had problems with potatoes. There was a lot of fish and chip shops closed because potatoes were so expensive. And when they reopened, they were giving larger portions to bring back the customers that, that they felt that they'd lost. Yes. And I think generally we're not, we're not multinational companies. We're all independent people and we're... 
uh, fish and chip owners are genuine feeders of people, if you like, whether that's yeah. within their community. Um, well, it does. It, I well. mean, the local fish and chip shop has always been traditionally the kind of, you know, the staple of the high street. But we've been hearing all, all this year, really, that the high street is changing, isn't it, a lot? Of course it is. It, of course it is. And the prices and, and the competition that we're, we're facing yeah. has led, led to smaller shops perhaps trying to combat that by giving larger portions and therefore suffering from uh, the profit, profitability on that. And now adding in the price increases that we are facing from fish and potatoes and shortages or, or whatever, that they're then going to struggle. The thing so is, though, I'm sure we will see some shops close. You have talked about the fact that, you know, where you are, your gaff, as Mike likes to put it, it's a fiver, which is fantastic value for money. But where yeah. I live, and, you know, we're on the outskirts of London, into Kent, uh, but we're not as, as far as the coast. Uh, you know, fish and chips yeah. could easily sit you about eight pounds, easily, eight or nine pounds. Mm. And we've, in central London, because it's a tourist trap, yeah. Mike was telling me seen adverts for well, 15 there are pubs. No, there are pubs yeah. in London selling fish and chips for, and putting it out there as if it's a, a good deal. Fifteen ninety nine. Yeah. You know. Yeah, which I, I would have to say is probably not as good a quality as in your local chippy. No. I mean, cer- certainly pubs, pub chains are getting better at what they do, and I have no disrespect to them. But it's not the same product as from the local fish and chip shop. And like I say, we've totally undervalued what it what it is we do, and and the, and the ingredients that we're using. I mean, it's fresh, natural ingredients. What other takeaway can say that? Where do you where do you get your uh, your fish from, Leslie? Do you get it from a sort of a local supplier or what? Well, yeah, it, it predominantly comes from Norway and um, comes into Grimsby, and okay. that's about 40 miles away from us. But also Scotland as well. Scottish Haddock and Cod, which is all MSC certified. Um, you know, we we're not we're not struggling as yet with the supply of that. Um, but I know quotas are being cut and and things are tightening and prices are going up and they're set to increase. Yeah, and have you um, found? But, oh, sorry, Lizzie, go on. I was going to say I think what what the what we need to do as as our businesses is to offer various portion sizes yeah. at cost to suit to suit the public sure and you find you've had to offer different things as well around the fish and chips you know like i don't know pickled eggs and and you know sausages and I, pies I think and tradition, traditionally shops do do that anyway right um and i think people are becoming more resourceful by making uh, homemade fish cakes for example yes. with the fish that they get in which makes that go further mm. um which still represents again good value for money Sure. Are you, um, you've got a fan on Twitter. I've got somebody called Matt who's tweeted me saying, if you ever get a chance to go to the Burton Road Chippy, it's absolutely right. fantastic. So well, I'm going to have, 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 have to come and pay you a visit. I mean, ultimately, fish and chips are in our DNA. They're our national dish. If, if the price of cheese, for example, went up in Italy, they're not going to stop pizzas, are they? No. You know, why? we're going to find ways to deal with this. And to me, it's, you know, I think people the general public are not actually stupid. They can see that their shopping bills are going up. They can see the prices in supermarkets. So they ultimately expect us to, to react to that in our in our businesses and, and our prices will have to go they, up. They do, but they would possibly not uh, have fish and chips as much as they are used to having it because it becomes more of a luxury than an everyday uh, you know, thing. For example, if yeah. it's eight quid each, you know, family four for having a quick takeaway is 32 quid. That's not cheap. No. It's it's not cheap. It's not cheap. But is it value for money? 
Well, that's one of the good arguments you've raised today because possibly we've been <laughs> undervaluing it for a number of years totally. and we've just been used to it being a certain lower price and, and you know we're surprised and shocked when it goes up and actually maybe it is worth that. Mm. Do you do breaded yeah. stuff as well, Leslie, as well as... Yeah, bread? we do. We do poached, we do pan-fried, mm. we cater... I think that's another a thing that shops can do is, is cater to different dietary requirements because obviously that's something that's in the forefront... Um, of everybody's mind these days sure. there's a lot more people that have uh, allergies and things like that as well so I think catering um, for varied dietary requirements is, is a must as well Sure, Brilliant, well listen, good luck with it Leslie it doesn't sound like you need any luck, it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job She's a proper job. shop, proper, a proper, proper fish and chip shop <laughs> yeah. and I'm not we'll surprised expect to see you soon. Yes, well as soon, any time I'm up near Lincoln I shall come and pay you a visit Brilliant, Leslie thank you very much indeed, Leslie Graves Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 